Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. It would be visually stunning because it would make, you know, the best, most awesome, largest comet of all time to stick Pluto in the inner solar system. You heard that right. Pluto is coming back to stay. Welcome to Dead Planet Society. This is a podcast where we imagine what it might be like if we were given cosmic powers to rearrange the universe. I'm Chelsea White, senior news editor at New Scientist. And I'm Leah Crane, physics and space reporter at New Scientist. And if there's one space thing that Chelsea is mad about, it's Pluto. (laughs) Pluto was robbed. As a child of the 80s, I loved Pluto and I was truly horrified when it was demoted from being a planet to, well, not one. (laughs) As some background, in 2006, the International Astronomical Union, the IAU, changed the designation of Pluto from planet to dwarf planet. So, like, what does that entail? What are the specific requirements to be considered a planet? There's a couple. It has to orbit a star. Okay, check. It has to be massive enough that its own gravity has pulled it into a spherical shape. Check. And it needs to be big enough that it's cleared its orbit of all the other large objects. <laughs> so Pluto got booted because it wasn't tidy enough? Yeah, it didn't do its chores and it got kicked out. Rude. <laughs> I know you have a lot of feelings about it. And there are a few people who do. But I think most scientists don't really care that much either way. I have like no personal dog in that fight at all. Back in high school, which is a very long time ago, I built a website explaining why Pluto wasn't a planet. I don't feel nearly as strongly about it now as I uh, did then. That was Kat Volk at the University of Arizona and Constantine Batigan at Caltech, both planetary scientists and our experts for today's chat. I mean, okay, they may be experts, but they're wrong. (laughs) We should make Pluto a planet again. All right. The argument is that we can have seven planets, just the big ones, or we could have thousands because there's tons of stuff out there that's big enough to be a sphere, but hasn't cleared its orbit. Okay, well, number two, bring it on. I want thousands of planets to play around (laughs) with. But maybe let's start with just this one. Okay. Okay. Uh, Could we do it? You know, what would it take to get Pluto to count as a planet again? And could we make it any bigger? Could we move it to another spot? What do we do? Yeah, I agree. Enough quibbling with definitions. Let's just actually make it a planet. So we asked Kat the best way to do that. Oh, it's actually a bit of a tricky question. I mean, with your magic powers, the best way would be to increase its mass, perhaps. I looked up, because thankfully someone has actually answered this question in the literature of quantitatively, how massive does something have to be as a function of its orbit to clear its orbit for some reasonable definition of clear, according to the IAU. And to get Pluto to clear its orbit at its current position, you don't need to add too much mass to it. You only need to get it up to, you know, something like a tenth of an Earth mass, which isn't ridiculously large. So, you know, Mars-ish sized. What's the gap there between where Pluto is now and how much we'd have to add? So right now it is about 0.002 Earth masses. So quite small compared to the Earth. 
So we need to make it quite a bit bigger than it is right now. So we're not really adding mass to Pluto so much as putting a whole planet where Pluto is now. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's not just like a simple doubling or, you know, a couple big objects that you could add to it. And in fact, I also looked up what the current best estimates for like the mass of the whole Kuiper Belt. For those of you who may not know, the Kuiper Belt is a ring of icy objects that starts just past the orbit of Neptune. It includes Pluto and a bunch of other dwarf planets. The Kuiper Belt consists of two parts, the classical belt, which is made of objects in circular orbits in about the same plane as the planets, and the scattered disk, which is made of more distant, randomly oriented objects. If we have to just add a bunch of mass, there's a lot of, well, in my mind, there's a lot of mass out there in the Kuiper Belt, right? Like, we should be able to gather it all up in some kind of net and smush it all onto Pluto, but is there very much mass out there? <laughs> yeah, so it turns out right now there's not all that much mass out there. So the classical Kuiper belt, we think probably never had more than about a tenth of an Earth mass of material in it. And kind of the estimates I've seen for its current mass is maybe 5% the mass of the Earth. So you'd be pretty close if you took a net and gathered up the entire classical belt and smushed it into Pluto you'd get close to getting Pluto to be big enough. So if you were to get a magic net to capture up all the mass, it wouldn't be so ridiculous to sweep up the whole classical belt because at least they're pretty localized in space. But it'd be kind of marginal whether there's enough mass if you collected them all together to add them to Pluto to make Pluto clear its orbit. If you include the scattered disk population, which are things that extend out much further from the sun, you could get to the total amount of mass because there's probably another tenth of an Earth's mass or something in the scattered disk. But it'd be a much harder net to gather up. <laughs> yeah, like I wonder if there'd be a better way to do it. Like I'm thinking of putting, I don't know why this came to mind, but I'm thinking of putting like a, a snowplow just in the way and letting <laughs> everything pile up over a long period of time, I suppose. You'd need a really big snowplow. A really big snowplow and a lot of time. <laughs> if we did, you know, sort of gather some Kuiper Belt objects somehow and throw them at Pluto, first of all, would they stick or would we need to put them in orbit around Pluto and just let it sort of gather them itself? You would want them to collide with Pluto, but very, very gently. So the key to, you know, when you have two bodies collide, if you want the final remnant to be bigger than the initial target, so what we call a merger in planetary simulations, you need the collision to happen at less than the escape speed of the body you're trying to add to. So right now, Pluto's escape velocity is like 1.2 kilometers per second. So it is actually currently being hit by things from the Kuiper Belt. That's why we see craters on its surface. But most of those things are hitting at larger than the escape speed. So you couldn't just try to like maybe shake up the classical belt and encourage things to hit Pluto. You, you would have to kind of somehow gather them up and get them to very gently collide with Pluto because their natural speed distribution hitting Pluto right now does not favor mergers. Also, there aren't enough really big things. So even if you do quote unquote merge a one kilometer body into Pluto, it doesn't solve our problem. Right. And we don't want them to be like hurtling in there and chipping Pluto away because that would be counterproductive. Yes. So you'd have to very gently collide them. And you'd probably have to do it over a long period of time because you'd have to worry about heating up the ices into like gas form. If you if you did too much at once, you might evaporate too much of Pluto. So it might take a while. 
Or maybe you could put some sort of balloon around the whole thing to make sure all those escaping volatiles are contained. So I would expect if we were adding mass to it and colliding things onto it, the orbit would change over time. And whether or not that new orbit would be stable, it might just be luck of the draw. So if it's not stable, does Pluto just fling out of the solar system at some point, maybe? Probably. So if it's not stable, it will have a close gravitational encounter with Neptune at some point. And then you kind of have maybe a one-third chance of being scattered inward by Neptune and a two-thirds chance of being scattered outward by Neptune. Are you saying we could make Pluto a bullet that would zip through the solar system? (laughs) Yeah, it certainly could be ejected you know, most likely to be ejected outward into uh, the scattering population. Right, but if we're lucky, it could go in and get Jupiter, and then we're, we don't have to take care of that guy. Chelsea, do you hate Jupiter more than you love Pluto? <laughs> yes, absolutely, I do. <laughs> well, I don't think Jupiter would even care if we hit it with Pluto. I'm not sure it would notice. <laughs> <laughs> it's big and awesome, and it doesn't care, and you can't mess it up. Now we have a special offer for our listeners. You can get four weeks of New Scientist free, followed by a monthly subscription price of $9.99. That's in dollars or pounds. You'll get unlimited access to our website and app, plus subscriber benefits, including newsletters, essential guides, and invitations to subscriber-only events. Go to newscientist.com slash DPS offer now to start your free month of New Scientist. If you're in London, join us at New Scientists Live on October 8th, where we'll be recording a live episode of Dead Planet Society. The event will take place across the weekend of October 7th and 8th, and it's sure to be fun and jam-packed with fascinating talks and hands-on experiences. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. But regardless of consequences, we still want to make Pluto a planet. Maybe there's an easier way to give Pluto a lot of mass. So we asked Constantine if he had any ideas. So here's the way you make it. You make it kind of massive is you drop a primordial black hole inside of Pluto so that it both consumes it, right? But the primordial black hole then is five Earth masses or 10 Earth masses or whatever. Can a black hole technically be a planet by the IAU's definition? No, certainly not by the IAU's definition. Well, but the, I, I think the IAU's definition is only there to explain what is not a planet, right? Well, actually, let's think about it. the IAU's definition. It has to be. It has to deform itself into a spherical shape under its own gravity, which you know certainly the Schwarzschild radius is a radius, so it's a sphere, and the no hair theorem tells us that it really is kind of a sphere. Black holes seem like they're way better at that than any other 
planet. That's right. They've done a they've done a good job at, at gravitationally deforming themselves, right? Uh, you can imagine a massive enough one that uh, clears out its orbit and it orbits the sun. It's a planet. Oh, this I love. <laughs> I feel like this is just going to lead to a whole new argument about whether a black hole could be a planet, which isn't really solving our problem of doing away with the quibbling and making Pluto unarguably a planet. Yeah, I mean, maybe we just need to think bigger. Maybe the target isn't Pluto itself, but rearranging the solar system around Pluto to bring it back into the club. Ah. <laughs> All you got to do, really, is decrease the mass of the sun by a lot. Like, decrease it to some oh. negligible fraction. Because then, as you decrease the mass of the sun, the mass ratio of Pluto, whatever you want, to the sun becomes a huge number then things, even not very massive things, start acting like planets. I was just going to say, if we decrease it suddenly, say by chopping it in half and blooping the other half away from the solar system, I feel like wouldn't Pluto just fly into interstellar space? Okay, so this is a great question. If you were to snap your fingers and decrease the mass of the sun by 90% or whatever you want, indeed, what would happen is Pluto has some momentum. It'll keep going. And it'll leave the solar system. But if you do a different exercise of slowly decreasing the mass of the sun, such that the number of orbital revolutions of Pluto or, or whatever object you're considering is very large compared to the characteristic you know, time scale over which you would decrease the mass of the central body, as one goes down, the other expands, but you still stay bound so you could you know kind of expand the solar system that way by a factor of a hundred which i think is a good idea but yeah you, you could totally do it wait so am i understanding you're saying that if we very slowly decrease the sun's mass like i don't know we give it an illness or something <laughs> make the sun sick and it starts to lose mass and then it like starts to shrink. Are you saying that like the rest of the planets would stay where they are and continue in orbit and not change? Yeah, they'd keep yeah. orbiting around the star and their orbits would slowly expand in concert with the decreasing mass of the central body. So it's like the architecture of the solar system will actually not really change, but the kind of size that it occupies will. Right now, the interactions between small objects like Pluto, etc., are small because the mass of Pluto divided by the mass of the sun is a very, very small number. But as you start to crank that up, right, you'll trigger instabilities. The solar system will enter a transient period of kind of orbital chaos, which I love talking about that. It's just the best thing ever. So it seems like not only would this be good for Pluto, potentially, while also having orbital chaos, so being bad for everything, but it would make my least favorite planet Mercury maybe a little bit better because it wouldn't be so hot. Like maybe we end up with a habitable Mercury. Well, yeah, and an un an uninhabitable Earth. And like, who knows what happens to Jupiter? <laughs> well, so, you know, what's, what's weird is like beyond the realm of speculation, all of this is actually going to happen in 5 billion years, right? So the sun will go through the red giant branch. It will consume Mercury, Venus, and the Earth. Uh, hopefully Mars as well. After that, right, it will, as the sun turns into a white dwarf, it will lose about half of its mass. And the, the solar system will expand, the orbits will expand by about a factor of two, which is pretty cool. Unfortunately, there's no way to make Mercury 
habitable, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's just, we should just have the sun eat it just as soon as possible. Instead of messing with the whole solar system, it might be easier to just physically move Pluto to somewhere where it can clear its orbit more easily. Yeah, okay. I love that. <laughs> yes. Because then you only have to move one object. So I guess like a, a tugboat or something to grab onto Pluto and drag it into the inner solar system. Oh, I like that. Where would we put it? So you'd need to put it about between Venus and Earth to get it to clear its orbit on kind of the age of the solar system. So you'd have to move it in quite a ways, but not quite all the way to Mercury. Is that just because there's less stuff in that area or, or it's moving faster? It's, it's more because it's moving faster, I think. So we tend to think of clearing up your orbit. Um, if you think about things going around the sun, you know, every orbit is an opportunity to encounter material that is near you. And out in the outer solar system, that takes a very long time because the orbits are very, very long. So if you're in the inner solar system, you're going around faster. The stuff you're trying to clear is going around faster. You have more opportunities and you can kind of kick stuff around. So that's why, you know, the terrestrial planets, which are much, much smaller than the giant planets, still can kind of clear their orbits of debris at smaller masses. Based on that logic, what I'm thinking is I want it to become a planet as fast as possible because I have no patience ever. <laughs> so it seems like the best thing to do is to um, lasso Pluto and drag it into the inner solar system and chuck it right over by Mercury because I want it to be going really fast. I want it to become a planet very quickly. So I guess my concern is that that, that might mess up the inner solar system like a lot, but it's so small that maybe it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's kind of marginal. But we also have to remember the inner solar system in and of itself, we're not quite sure if it's stable for the age of the sun. So even without messing up things by adding another planet in the inner solar system, it's possible that it's usually Venus and Mercury that become unstable in these long-term numerical simulations of the inner solar system. So we're already kind of dancing on the edge of stability in the inner solar system. I mean, we personally have nothing to worry about in the simulations. This happens about 10 billion years into the solar system's history. So, you know, we'll, we'll all be dead. It'll be fine. Then I say chuck an, an extra dance partner in and see how it goes. Like, that's great. <laughs> you know, it would be visually stunning because it would make, you know, the best, most awesome, largest comet of all time to stick Pluto in the inner solar system. Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> I think we should do it. Um, I've written about Pluto a lot. And a lot of the things that I write about are like, and you know, these glaciers are liquids and the water ice is the bedrock. And there's a lot of ice on Pluto. If we put it over by Mercury, would it melt away? Yeah, you'd get some pretty vigorous sublimation of that ice. So even right now where Pluto is, it has a tenuous nitrogen atmosphere. And there's still, I think, debates over how that atmosphere changes as Pluto's distance from the sun changes. So if you brought that into the inner solar system, you'd get more than a tenuous atmosphere. Uh, you'd get very vigorous sublimation of those surface ices, which is why it would make an unbelievably bright comet if you brought something that large. Just think of the comets that we see in the sky. You know, we see them in the night sky, typically there have been a few comets in history that have been bright enough to see during the daytime. Pluto would be pretty impressive probably even during the daytime because it'd be very big. So you were saying that this would create 
an atmosphere around Pluto. My very obvious and very stupid follow-up question is, are we making Pluto not only a planet, but potentially a habitable planet? Hmm, you might need an atmospheric scientist for that. I'm going to guess not. Because it would probably be such vigorous sublimation that it would be more, you know, more like this giant comet where you are losing material to space and creating this tail. That's what I was going to ask. Would it run out pretty quick in terms, like quickly in terms of planet lifetimes? Oh, hmm. That is an excellent question. So, I mean, certainly, you know, quickly compared to the age of the solar system, but not quickly compared to like people time scales. I think our best estimate is that when you have a, a like a normal comet that's you know a couple kilometers across at most that it can sublimate for you know hundreds to maybe thousands of years before it depletes the surface ice i do not have a back of the envelope estimate for how long it would take pluto to fade i mean that nitrogen glacier is pretty big so i bet it would take a while to completely sublimate and then you've got all those water ice mountains so remember, you know, the, the rocks that we see on Pluto are actually water ice. Um, it just behaves like a rock because it's so cold. So all of that would get warmer in the inner solar system and would be available to sublimate. So I, I bet Pluto could be active for quite a while. So it would be really awesome for a while. And then we would just have a second, smaller, worse Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> I think it'd be a better Mercury because at least you'd have Charon along for the ride. So you'd have a binary object. It's a little more interesting than Mercury. Now I'm thinking that we should just like billiards it and send Pluto in, kick Mercury into the sun. Who needs that? And then we've got a pre-cleared orbit. You know, I guess actually we don't know for sure there's nothing inside Mercury's orbit. It's really hard to observe asteroids that close to the sun. There's been much debate over whether you could have, what do they, they call them Vulcans, I think, Vulcanoids. So I, I guess we don't know for sure there's nothing that it would need to clear, but it doesn't appear to be like a whole asteroid belt. So we've found a way to make Pluto a planet, but it's going to take a lot of time. And for all of that time, we're going to have seven planets instead of nine. So Chelsea, are you happy now? I mean, actually, kind of, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, put Mercury on notice because I'm going to yeet it into the sun. Thanks to Kat Volk and Constantine Batigan for joining us today. And thanks to you for listening to Dead Planet Society. If you like this podcast, you might also enjoy my monthly space newsletter at New Scientist called Launchpad. You can check that out at newscientist.com slash launchpad. And finally, if you have any cosmic object you want us to figure out how to destroy, let us know and we might feature it in a later episode of the podcast. Our email is deadplanets at newscientist.com. Or if you just want to chat about this episode or breaking the cosmos more generally, you can find us on Twitter at at White and at Down Here on Earth. See you next time. Bye. Pluto has <laughs> uh, roughly the same surface area as Russia. And one could make the case that Russia is a planet, uh, it's, <laughs> but, but it would be about as good of a case as Pluto being a planet. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. 
the nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.